Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we are a podcast, and we are two friends who do a deep dive into a horror movie, and then I try to bring in my obsession with true crime and link a true crime to it and tell Chris about it. And uh, we think this episode should be fairly easy as far as that goes, since it is literally a horror movie based on a true crime. But I did not know that at first. Okay, yeah, no, to be fair, no, neither of us have seen this movie before. No, so this was actually recommended by one of our group members on Sometimes Groups Are Better, which you should all go on Facebook and join. This was recommended by Natasha, I believe is how you say her name. She's, we asked, I asked her what her favorite scary movies were, and she said this one, and she liked the se- sequel too, which was a sequel. I didn't realize it. Yeah, I watched the trailer. I did not know. Yeah, the 2004, I guess we should say what movie we're doing. Yeah. Oh, yes. So the movie that we're doing is the 1976 movie, the town that dreaded sundown and then it was which I, which I thought was remade in 2014 but it's actually a sequel yeah so it was like a blumhouse uh, thing yeah so i did think it was a reboot and i guess in a way it is but they make pains apparently to make it a sequel to the, the original movie yeah so we're gonna get into that in a minute uh, but then in the meantime uh chris what have you been watching um, well, I thought I'd do something a little bit different um, this week. So I thought I would talk about the two musical documentaries I watched. Well, not documentaries, but musical features I watched recently. Okay. Um, so on Netflix is the wonderful new Bob Dylan documentary. Uh-huh. Have you seen that? I uh, have seen some of it. The Rolling Thunder Review mm-hmm. um, by Martin Scorsese. It's sort of a sequel to his... I mean, I guess it's not really a sequel, but you know, Scorsese did that No Direction Home like 10 hour documentary about you know 10 years ago right which is about dylan in the 60s um and then it kind of uh intent, you know, it ends and when dylan kind of went uh, electric and then had his motorcycle accent and right. that, that's sort of that period in time and that's one of my favorite documentaries ever i watch it like twice a year probably and so when this came on i was very excited and so this is dylan in the 70s uh doing the rolling thunder um which i knew about a little i mean i had the bootleg you know, official bootleg CD of that tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had no idea how crazy <laughs> things got. Um, so the idea is that Bob Dylan, you know, this is one of his first tours after his motorcycle accidents. You know, eight, eight years later, he hadn't really toured much. And he just sort of did a almost like a gypsy carnival tour of like kind of out of the way places, you know, um, not really conventional concert halls. And it was just sort of nuts. Like Ginsburg was there, Allen Ginsburg. Uh, uh, like Sam Shepard for some reason, just for all these hangarons and sort of acolytes. And then they did these incredible shows and they were all on cocaine. Was Donovan there? <laughs> Donovan was not there. Oh. He'd been dropped aside. Um, Joan Baez does show up. Okay. Um, and then Johnny Mitchell. Mm-hmm. People kind of just, come, you know, collect like a snowball or something like that. Oh, this. wow. Um, so it's really good. It's, it's very nonlinear. Um, so I highly, highly recommend it. Is it okay for Elise to watch? Is there... Probably Drug not. use or... Well, I, I just don't think she really understand it, you mm. know, because it's so... She would like the concert pieces. 
Um, she's getting into Bob Dylan now. Yeah, there's so, there's a lot of cursing if that bothers you. Um, nah. And uh, as long as it's not you know Sopranos level of cursing, it's no, usually okay. I, I just think it's I don't think I think she may watch it and not really like him. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah, and you don't want to do that. Um, it just it's it's I, I mean I, to me it makes me like him more, but. But to, on the converse, I went and saw that movie yesterday, The Beatles thing. Oh, I wanted to take Elias this weekend. Yeah. Well, okay. I, okay. Go ahead. I, I have all kinds of negative thoughts about it. Oh, no. Yeah. Mostly because of just, they have this great concept, this idea, and I'm sure everyone has seen the trailer, and the idea is that this uh, musician, kind of street busker, wakes up, and he's the only person in the world that remembers The Beatles. Right. He like, wakes up from a coma or something, forget, or he's in a bus accident. And the rest of the world has forgotten the Beatles, or he wakes up in an altered dimension or something. It's kind of unclear. So he has all this knowledge, uh, and he's able to, you know, kind of take advantage of that, become this big pop star. But what bugs me about it, I, okay, I guess if you didn't like the Beatles a lot, you'd probably have enjoyed the movie more. But if you know anything about them and are like a big fan, it's almost upsetting because like it doesn't take its own concept very seriously. Like so, there's this world without the Beatles, but it's exactly uh-huh. the same. Like they don't play with that concept at all. Like the only difference is there's no Oasis because that's the only difference. Like, yeah, there's a few other differences that are kind of cute, but really, like he still has his David Bowie albums and he still has like his other albums. It's like, well, no, you wouldn't want really to really have those necessarily. Right, right. And then the world is exactly the same. Like, and I just feel like if you could play with that concept a lot more, like what it would really be like without yeah, the Beatles. Yeah, and what would there be an Ed Sheeran? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And like even music is exactly the same, which is like fundamentally. Yeah. And albums are the problem. same. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, then I started getting mad at him because he's <laughs> taking advantage of it. And then some of the things he do, those are just, just like he'll release an album of Beatles material and he'll still call it Sgt. Peppers. But it's like, it's not Sgt. Peppers. It's just a bunch of random Beatles songs. So why call it Sgt. I don't know. It just bugs me. Like mm. things like the. Um, that said, if, if, if you weren't like a super Beatles obsessive like me, you'd probably be okay with it. I mean, it's like, and I don't think me and Elise would like it then. We'll give it a try. I think Elise would like it because I think if she was 10 years older, she may be bugged by it. I don't know. She's pretty intense. She's, she's gotten in fights at school. Really? About, um, yeah. although she brings up this little boy who said that his dad said the Beatles suck. And she said, she poked him in the chest and said, I bet you don't even know any Beatles songs. There's definitely nothing negative about the Beatles in it, though. So, I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I think she'd like it. I just had, I was so excited about that concept. And they just do nothing with it. Um, and I think the romance is very good. I said it. Oh, with um, Lily. Uh, Cinderella. Yeah. I mean, she's adorable. I love her. But I just, I, there was no chemistry between the two main people. You remember when we had that, that giant Bob Dylan poster in our apartment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was huge. <laughs> yeah. well, where was that in our uh... the uh, first one? Oh right, yeah. and Road Circle. Well, what have you been watching? Well, Brian and I started uh, Los Espookies. Have you heard of that? The Fred Armisen. Yes, thing. it's on HBO, and it is so funny. So, do, do you know who uh, Julio Torres is? No, he was on SNL for a little bit. I think he's also a stand-up comic. And he is hilarious. He's um, just really silly. And he's on that. It's all in Spanish, you know. And the whole thing? I, yes. I, I didn't know The whole that. thing's in Spanish and subtitled. Well, most of it. I mean, like, Fred Armisen sometimes speaks English. And then, but then when he speaks English, then it subtitles to Spanish. So then it gets, my brain is not. But it's just so funny. It's just, like, so silly, which I kind of miss just a, a silly show. And is it scary? No. No. 
Well, so the the premise is that it's this group of friends. They love horror. They've always loved horror, and they do a quinceanera for uh, one of one of their family members, and it's like scary themed. So it's like horror themed, and Fred Armisen says like, "Hey, you guys should do this for a living." They band together and decide to do this for a living. So they we've only watched the first three episodes, but so they do different assignments, and it's just it's really funny. It's really good. So I highly recommend it. We also started Barry. We watched the first two episodes of that. With I still have not seen that. Bill Hader. I I really love Bill Hader. I don't think I love the show yet. People are obsessed with it, though. I think it just is one of those that we only watched two episodes, mm-hmm. and I just think it needs, you need to stick with it. Yeah. So I bet it will be good. I'll get, it'll get better anyway. I need to get my HBO bag just because uh, everyone's talking about Big Little Lies on Twitter. Well, see, I, we tried. So we loved the first season. Oh, so the second season's not good? Well, it's just so, like, I don't know. We just haven't been in the mood for it. It's like uh, you start it and it's just like such a downer. Everyone's like so, uh, so everyone's so sad. Based and, on Twitter, all I was getting was like a bunch of Meryl, Meryl Streep memes. So I thought it must be fantastic. <laughs> Meryl Streep's really good. Again, we just, I think we've watched the first two episodes mm-hmm. and we just haven't gotten hooked back into it because also I think I think a lot of the steam came out of it when I mean if you've seen it then you know what happens at the end you know the first season yes Um, and so that all is kind of over and then I mean I guess there's a chance that they could get caught maybe but then again a new mystery is that what you're saying not yet maybe there will be but it's also it's like well who cares he was a bad guy he's gone I see yeah Sounds like there's not like I, mean, a, I guess they could a get to the new season. They could get well then what? She might get manslaughter. I mean, I don't know. Hmm. So we'll see. And and Reese Witherspoon, I don't remember her being so awful as she was in the first. She's so awful, like just as a person. Hmm. And Laura Dern, I loved her in the first season, and in this season, like she's just like talking to doctors like their shit. I don't know. I just I don't like seeing that kind of that attitude and that rich. Um, person kind of thing. Right. I, I didn't think it was as as heavy as it is this season with the rich and the money and stuff. I just don't like that. But anyway. Yeah, I don't remember them being particularly awful. I mean, Laura Dern was kind of awful last season. But that's what made it so great is like they made they started her as awful right. and then they really showed her as a person right, right. and her struggle at being really successful and a mother and then kind of coming around and I thought it was great. But so far this season, it's, she's just been like back to that awful character or it's like my daughter is so special and fuck you and get out of my way mm-hmm. just kind of like that kind of attitude Shay- and Shailene, Winley- Shailene Woodley's hair is bothering me or- oh no this is all making me want to watch it by the way <laughs> <laughs> we, we will watch it and finish it that's all so I guess it's time to talk about what we've been drinking what are we drinking yeah. so um, this week I was uh, we're just really stretching the boundaries of <laughs> the, the panic uh, <laughs> thing here but so, okay, so this movie takes place in Texas. Right. Technically, it takes place in Texarkana, which, so some of it could take place in Arkansas. Right, I we guess it know. goes... Who knows? <laughs> I guess it's right there at the border. And there's right. a, there's one in each state, right? So you could live in Texas, Arkana, yeah. Texas, or Texarkana, Arkansas. Yeah, because of ter- the Texas, uh, uh, what do you call them? Bounty hunter? No. The Texas Ranger gets involved. Right. I assume most of it takes place in Texas. Right. You know, jurisdictionally-wise. I don't know if you're supposed <laughs> to think about it that much. Um, so I was, you know... For some reason, we're really hustling to find something Texas-related. You wouldn't think it'd be that hard, um, but I had quite a bit of drama today. So I settled <laughs> on some uh, 
Texas vodka. What do you call it? Tito's. Uh, Tito's. Tito's Texas vodka. So we were drinking some uh, cranberry vodkas, <laughs> just like they do in the town that dreaded sundown. Well, <laughs> because they had they had the spike punch right. at the prom, and yes. so we thought we're going to have some Texas vodka, just like we're at that little prom, spiking our drinks. Yes, yeah, it is completely on point and not at all <laughs> desperate. <laughs> I was, like, texting Chris, like, Phantom, Moonlight. Can you find anything that has to do with that? Got it. Tito's. <laughs> so, to- cheers. Masks. Cheers. It's, it tastes – it's very refreshing, especially since it's, like, hot yeah. and in the middle of summer. It's it perfect. It's a nice summer drink. We have uh, some uh, limes in here. All right. So, this movie came out in 1976. So, this is also another movie that predates us. Yes. This is our oldest movie, right? Yeah, this is our oldest movie. And um, to my mind, I mean, this may be one of the very first uh, slasher movies. I think so. Yeah. I mean, mean, taking aside, I mean, Psycho is not really a slasher movie. Um, No, not with that same sort of villain. Yeah. And I, you know, I understand people online say there are earlier slasher movies. I don't know what they are, but I take their word for it. But watching this, it does seem like a very formative slash movie to the point where like you can tell they even haven't quite figured out the form yet which we'll talk about but clearly this influenced uh i would i mean it would have had influenced a lot of movies oh yeah yeah i i I mean i just kept thinking about friday the 13th yeah especially being out in the woods right well uh friday 13th part two you know the first one where jason Voorhees Mm -hmm. proper is in right he wears the same bag of her head the exact oh. same one because they don't find the hockey mask till part three. Oh, okay. But, I, I have to go back and, and revisit all those. It's yes, been so we well. We'll have to do that. We'll do like They're each all on one. Amazon. They're all okay. Amazon. Yeah. We'll do um, that soon. So yeah. So I assume that Friday the Thirteenth Part Two is paying an homage to Sundown because we want to understand this is kind of a cult classic from the get go. Right. Um, like a lot. Well, of, this is seventy six though. So Chainsaw Massacre came out in seventy four though, right? Yeah, I, sp- I mean... I, I, it's not the same thing, though. Yeah, You're right. it's not really a slash movie either, because that's more of a grotesque sort of I mean, there, horror. there are, I mean, there are scenes of, like, Leatherface chasing the girl through, but it's not the same, like you had said. It's there, yeah. this, this specific way that this killer follows his victims is just so similar to Friday the 13th or Halloween. Right. Um, but, I, but I like to talk about the form of it, because I feel like it's almost like this unfinished slash movie. Um, and maybe when John Carpenter came around to Halloween, maybe he kind of figured it out a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, obviously, from what I can tell, a hugely influential movie. I think it's name checked in Scream, right? Didn't we talk about yes. that? Yeah. So yes. obviously, you know, Wes Craven has seen it, or Wes Carpenter, as she said. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, so, but no, I, I'd never seen it. I, I think that's partly because um, it looks like it was out of print for a long time, like not available on video or. Right. They said it didn't come out till. 2000 and yeah which is crazy. 14 or something yeah so i you know heard of it probably just through scream really you know, haven't seen that but did you see that that texarkana plays at every halloween no i did not know yes that. they've been playing at every halloween since 2003 in the movie <laughs> theater must be crazy yes <laughs> like they said one year 600 people showed up Really? Yes. Yeah. And this is based on true murders, though. So it's kind of... Uh, is it? Actually, because okay. I didn't know... Yes, because I'm going to tell you all about it. Okay. I didn't know if we had like a Fargo kind of situation. No, or, no. Okay, like, you know, It's definitely 100% based okay. on true events. Uh, they took liberties, which you can do with a movie. That's fine. So I'll tell you the differences when we, at the end. Would one of those liberties be the um, cops dressing as, up as women in the... No. I'm, that's not a liberty? Mm-mm. That really happened? Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. Oh, my God. 
This will okay. be fun. Uh, so when I first heard of this, even when Natasha on Facebook mentioned it, I still didn't know what kind of movie it was. I thought that maybe it was a vampire movie. Yeah, it sounded to me like almost like a western or something. I thought yes, it sounded like a very like a western, um, or I thought it was werewolves. I don't know. I, I thought there was, for only. some reason. I mean, sundown. I'm, I my mind went to supernatural. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I really had no clue. So then when I, fit, when I figured this out, I was like, well, this is going to be easy for me, which it wasn't as easy as I thought, just because there were so many differences. And I really wanted to make sure I figured out what was true and what wasn't. Okay. Well, I guess, you know, let's just get into the, the plot. Um, first of all, I will just announce that I, I really like this movie, partly because he, Chris and texted me. <laughs> Um, Wednesday or Thursday saying, I don't know if we should do this. This isn't looking very good because <laughs> uh, she was about 45 minutes into it. So that she set my expectations really low. Um, well, because I mean, at first, yeah, I mean, you have to admit it, it's not. I mean, like this was directed by a guy named Charles B. Pierce, right. who did not do much else. Right. He did a movie about the boggy monster, the boggy swamp monster. Yeah. And then it was written by a guy named Earl E. Smith, who also didn't write much past yeah. the 80s. He did write the sequel. That really, came out. Okay, yeah. Um, obviously, the the writing and the directing is not. I think the directing is quite good. Actually, the directing. You're right. Yeah. Um, I think especially for the horror the, scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I was watching two different movies. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and we'll, right. we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, that's my main problem with it, and my main problem with it is also what makes it so interesting to me. Okay. <laughs> and that's kind of why I like like it, you know, because if it was actually um, a more consistent kind of quote better movie, I'd probably be less interested in. it. <laughs> Because it's very interesting, almost just like as an experiment, like this, like like I said, like almost like this unfinished project. Um, I think you have to also think of it kind of the way Brian was talking about, like watching older movies right. and think of it at, in 1976 and this type of movie coming out exactly in yeah. these little, these long scenes of violence. Like I, I think I, as soon as I texted you, I was like, never mind, it's getting dark. It's got yeah, that that I think that, I know the scene you're talking about that yeah. raw 70s violence. Yeah. Where it's just like you can't look away, but you want to. Yeah. I mean, there are scenes in the movie that are just, I mean, the scene you're talking about, what I think you're talking about, I mean, I would just say it, it caught my attention. And <laughs> like, um, so anyway, this is a movie about a, you know, a serial killer, if that's the right word. I guess so. Right? Yeah. I mean, I know they maybe didn't, uh, weren't a known thing back then in the 40s, but I mean, that's what he is, clearly. Um, and he's terrorizing a town on the Texas Arkansas border. In 1946. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting that we start right after World War II. Right, the movie certainly makes a big point of it. You know, this opening narration, almost like a this sort of newsreel narration. Right. I guess it's sort of stylized to be like that. And they you know, talk a lot about this sort of post-war optimism and these kids coming back to, you know, get married and have babies, you know, the mm-hmm. baby boomers. Yeah. Um, and then they're sort of confronted with this, you know, horror. So I don't know if you've read The Stand. No. Okay. Well, I know we've, uh, and my God, well, we did that movie. <laughs> uh, but there's this, this chapter in the stand that I always liked where, so, you know, the, if you remember the premise of the stand is there's this, uh, virus that wipes off, wipes out like 90% of the people in America. Okay. Maybe the world. I, I forget. And then, so that happens and then everyone's dead. There's some survivors, but then there's this chapter that's all about what, what Stephen King calls the aftershocks. Which is like you had the main epidemic, and then you had these aftershocks where it was just like random sort of acts of violence and random accidents where people were just dying, not from the flu or the virus, but from their own sort of just other weird 
kind of events that mm. are sort of thematically linked to this horror that just happened. Okay. So I was kind of wondering, like, is that kind of what's almost like, is that kind of like a metaphor? Like, they just, all these people just experienced the war, like this big traumatic event. Oh. And then they kind of come back and they're like sort of confronted with like this, this sort of aftershock, which is this sort of, you know, unexplainable sort of killer that just, you know, killing almost exclusively these sort of young men and women. I mean, it, is it as deep as like being more literal as in like maybe it was a soldier that was over there Ooh, and know, yeah. and experienced these and then brought them back with him? Could be. I mean, I, I guess the only reason I say that is because, the, you know, that, that I say the thing about the unnamed sort of or unexplained element of it is because the movie sort of seems to take pains not to explain it to leave it open so all, the lack of motive is almost like the sort of scariest thing about right it. well so and then the, it starts out with I, I didn't like the voiceover that's just a very lazy way of making a movie which is fine I mean it was 1976 or whatever but you, I mean they should be able to show you these things without having someone tell you yeah, but see I thought the voiceover was so intentionally stylized oh, okay. like it's not like a normal voiceover unless if it was supposed to be they failed <laughs> but it reads to me like this old newsreel kind of like the things I mean we this is obviously way before we were born, but you know, like in the forties and fifties, they would have these news reels before the movies. Right. They'd be like, soldiers are turning home. Ah, <laughs> like that kind of voice. That's kind of what it reminded me of. So, and then when I looked online, they described this movie as a faux documentary, which it's not quite, but maybe that's kind of what they're thinking of. Like this sort of okay fake sort of, uh, anyway, but if, if it didn't work for you, it didn't work. It is kind of silly for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so then the first scene pr- almost is, the first murder. And so it starts out very, I mean, it starts out good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, that first scene's intense. Um, I don't, I didn't quite understand. So they pull up. So it's a couple They just went to a movie and they pull out into the wilderness somewhere to park. But why did he put her, his head on her lap? I think, I think he had his hand up her skirt. That's what was going on there. That, is that how you do that? I, I, no, I don't think so. But, but then he said, she said, watch your hand. Yeah. So that's kind of where I got that. So from. Then he was just, well, I, and I think, I think what you see, because when she, when he, when the killer bursts through the window, I think you see her dress kind of go down like that. I mean, I, listeners can't see that. But <laughs> it, it looks like her dress is coming down. I had all those questions. I didn't know what he was doing, but it was. It was and then it looked like maybe he was trying to fix the car on that side. Yeah. I, I don't know. She, he was doing something naughty. I think, I, I, I think that's the point. <laughs> uh, when she's just not reacting <laughs> she just seems perturbed yeah but yeah that, that's a very violent scene he pulls the guy through the window i mean there's there's glass breaking she is screaming intensely yeah that but, is some intense screaming yeah and there's, you know, this guy with you know the pretty creepy mask on which yes is, again is i'm pretty sure exactly the jason Voorhees mask in part two and then it's also i mean obviously this was 20 so years later but it looks like the zodiac that we know now. Yeah, and this very much reminded me of the opening of Zodiac. I know, and I, yeah. I, I, I was surprised that there wasn't more online about comparing these two murders. I mean, I think that the the idea that it was the same killer is too hard to... Because any of the suspects that were in Texarkana were not in California yeah. 20 years later or whatever. But it still seems like these MOs are just... They're very similar. Yeah, well, I just meant it remind me of the Zodiac movie, like the opening scene. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. The thematically, the, is pretty similar. You know, yeah. Kind of this unexplained killer. That movie's um, so good. And then, um, yeah, we should do that at some point. Oh I know gosh. it's not really a horror movie, but still. It's uh, pretty horrific. The, that opening scene, one thing that bugs me, though, is that there's no music to it. it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't bug me. It scares me. Like, yes, there's, there's complete, no music, and it's like, just hit. You can hear him breathing and her screaming. Yeah. 
Right. And so one of the things that um, I guess we should know that he doesn't kill these people. He hurts them. Right. Um, you know, he bites her. Chews on her, he says. Yeah. That is insane. So, and of course, we know later from seeing the movie that he does kill everyone else, or at least tries to. So are we supposed to believe that this is like his first time and maybe he's like an escalating killer? Oh, yes. In that kind of phrase? Yes. I think so. And then when we get, when we get to the true crimes, too. That's much more apparent, I think. So is that part of the true story, that the first victims were not killed? Yes. Okay. I'll give you that much. Thank you. And that scene where he gets in the car with her and just shuts the door and you don't quite know what's happening, that's really yes. chilling to me. Yes, yes. Uh, and also, so one thing that's different from this movie and the slash movies that came later is you always see kind of just, you know, without any real um, trickery, just the killer, you know, just fully there, you know, and... You know, like, whereas like, if this was a Jason movie, you maybe see him, like, looking through his, like, maybe a point of view shot, and you wouldn't see Jason until, like, the last second or something. Uh-huh. In this movie, they always kind of show, like, they just show him, like, walking around and... Even walk, in daylight, he's just yeah. walking around in the same yeah. outfit. Uh, or sneaking up on people, like, like you know what I mean? Like, instead of, showing, instead of seeing from his point of view, sneaking up on people. Was there no shots of his POV? That's interesting. I don't think so. I don't think so either. So, I think John Carpenter probably invented that. Because a lot, of, you know, on one yeah. hand, that makes it less scary because he, he sometimes looks kind of silly, like sneaking around the car or something. <laughs> but on the other hand, it, it kind of makes it more creepy because it's just slightly different. Than I think it's creepier, like in the Friday the Thirteenth movies and stuff, because a lot of it in, involves like them making out or nudity, and you know that he's watching that, and that yeah. makes it creepier to me. But but yeah, that's interesting. We're introduced to all the cops, right? Who are the cops? Who we got here? Um, well, there's a deputy sheriff uh-huh. who's the, the main character. I don't know his name. <laughs> um, oh, there's Sparkplug, who is that's the director. Did you know that? I knew that he was somebody. You I know, couldn't. That's Charles Pierce. Um, that explains a lot when you think about it. Like the director kind of gave himself like this sort of funny role. <laughs> I can kind of see that happening. Yeah. Like, he wrote. I think he wrote the movie. No, he didn't write it. He produced it. But, but I think he made that character for himself. He did, yeah. Yes. He's a ham, isn't he? Oh, um, he That's kinda... why it's, it was just like, I mean, I, I get having humor in these type of movies. Even Zodiac has uh, really funny scenes, especially yeah. with Robert Downey Jr. It was so much silliness. Yeah, it's so tonally off from the rest of the movie. It doesn't even square at all. Like, uh, And the only thing that makes sense is the director was just like, oh, I, I'm going to be this character and he just amped up the comedy like 40% because <laughs> yeah. you know, like, he had the crew laughing or you know him right, like, <laughs> right. he just always wanted to play a character like that yeah. I don't know and it's not a bad character just not right for that movie at all and like you said it's not wrong with a comedy but it's the way they do it like the whole movie just stops and, they, right, right. and even though the characters like turn and like watch that character and like it's just this very I don't know I, I, that's when I kind of thought what is happening here um <laughs> So, but you know, when you contrast those with the sort of you know the horror scenes, it's it is truly two different movies. I do kind of wonder what the story behind all that is. Also, one thing I was thinking about is like you know Jaws was just coming out maybe the year before, and I kind of wonder like was this their attempt to do sort of like small town humor Jaws type vibe like you know because Jaws did that really successfully. There's a lot of humor in that about the town and always sort of you know cast the characters reacting to the shark you know that type of thing. Uh-huh. So maybe they're like, okay, we'll do that. And they just sort of, you know, did it badly. I mean, it's not even that it's that bad. It, it just I mean, I mean, I guess the maybe they liked Andy Griffith. Yeah, maybe he just, he, 
the director just wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He wanted to make a Billy Wilder movie, but he also wanted to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So he made both. Yeah. But yeah, so, and, so then... And to his credit, I mean, he still made an original <laughs> movie. I mean, yeah, he did. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of um, templates to go by, so... Yeah. I don't fault him for that. It's just strange. It's just strange. We'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we move on to the next murder. And so I guess the deputy kind of has an idea that maybe this might happen again. So he starts driving around lovers' lanes. This is when it gets, it looks like it's daylight, but it's supposed to be nighttime. It's yeah. raining. Yeah, it's I think really... it was just probably shot at sundown <laughs> and they just, you know, said it was night. But yeah, so we have another um, GI um, guy that returned, you know, from the war. He's, they say he's 29 and he's dating a 17-year-old, interestingly enough. Yeah. So, Which is that is uh, factual too. Okay, so you know, sure. Which I guess is just more common back then. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I just kind of noted. It. I mean, both of them did look thirty-five. There. I, <laughs> <laughs> I do think one thing that is effective in the movie is just subtly is whenever there's a killing, they they introduce the dates at the bottom. Right. So you know, okay, you know, something's about to happen. So whenever you see, they introduce a couple, then it says you know, April third or whatever it is, and it kind of makes you you know your. Yeah. So this one, this bit. next one's March twenty-fourth. Yeah, so what happens here? So the cop is out on the road. So the young couple, oh, youngish, half young, they go and sit. They go and park so they can sit. I was reading about that, too. Like, apparently, like, it wasn't just, like, in the 40s, you had, like, no privacy. So it wasn't even just to, like, go and make out. It was also to just, like, go and have some privacy so you can have, like, a real conversation. You I, know I what I mean? I was wondering that because I, I thought, like, what exactly is the appeal yeah, so it, it is part thing. of it is to make out and do that kind of stuff. But yeah. then also, I guess if you're at home, you're probably going to be with your parents. Yeah, if you're okay. out, people are going to overhear you and everybody talks. And so part of it also was for people to just kind of get away and be able to sit and talk with each other without. Yeah, and I guess it may be improper. Like now, like, because I was thinking, well, why don't they just go to their house or something? But I guess back then, you couldn't necessarily just have a, a gentleman caller over. Yeah, you couldn't have him in your room yeah. with the door closed. Did you, do we see the murder in this one or does he come across it? No, we don't see the murder. We hear the gunshot. Right, or so he hears the gunshots. and so he takes off. There was a couple, like in this part, there was a scene where it looked like it was the same scene back to back of the car driving. Did you notice that? Yeah, um, I did read that they used like the same kind of extras and cars. Yeah, so it reminded me of like Ed Wood when he was just like looking through the stock footage, and he was like, <laughs> "Yeah, just use that one." But there's not, there's not part of the movie. Doesn't matter. Just use it. But um, but yeah, so then he comes ac- across the crime scene. And it's, the girl is tied up to a tree. Well, she I guess he thinks he finds the guy yeah, first who has been shot. And he find, then he finds the guy like in the ditch. You don't really see that too well. But then you do see the girl with her her front is kind of tied. Well, that doesn't make sense. She's facing the tree. And right. she's like kind of tied around it. I tell you, that is made up. That's made up. Yes. Okay. It is super creepy. I will say that. Because there's also, you can see, I guess that's the bullet wound in her yeah. back. Yeah, a close-up of it. Yeah. yeah. And she's kind of dressed, I just noticed, she's kind of dressed almost like Snow White or something. It's kind of weird. Did you notice mm, that? Uh-uh. Of, in fact, she's actually wearing the same colors as, and here I go again, but she's wearing <laughs> the same, it looks like the same almost outfit as that first girl. There's like a red it, and purple kind of pattern or something. Hmm. We'll have to watch it again. So I kind of thought, is that like a thing? Is that, is that what's triggering him? He doesn't like that outfit. <laughs> uh, but also the Snow White thing, I kind of thought, well, maybe there's something to that. And then I realized half the movie is a sitcom. So <laughs> I kind of, you know, decided that maybe it wasn't worth thinking. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they thought, thought too much about wardrobe. And so now people are starting to get more worried. And this is where we have like the scene that's very similar to what happened when we talked about um, not only Scream, but also... We talked about the Gainesville Ripper, 
about how gun stores start getting sold out, people start booby trapping their homes, staying in. I love that scene of I like love that sequence. It's yeah, funny. <laughs> where it's just like one little gun left hanging off the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, for some reason, I like the the older couple watching with approval was like they get a they're like a door nailed shut right. or something. Right. They're like good work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also was thinking about like this was interesting. Like this movie came out in 1976 and it's portraying 1946. Right. So it's very much like us watching Stranger Things and having that nostalgia for that time. Yeah, and you, this is one of those things, like, it really wasn't that long ago back then, like in the 70s. It's not just some distant past. All right, and so because of these murders, we have a fancy Texas Ranger come in, right? A lone yeah. wolf, they call him. Yeah, they need uh, all the help they can get. So Captain Morales, Texas Ranger, comes. Who, to- I will tell you, is based on a real person. Right. But it's a uh, Captain... Gonzalez. Yeah. So in the movie, they make this whole big show about him coming. There's a whole right. scene about it. He's getting on the train. He's yeah. buying cigars. Yeah. They say he's the most famous Texas Ranger in history. I wish this being 1946. I mean, I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> what has he done? Uh, but it sounds like they, they suggest that maybe he's caught someone else before, like some other killer. Or? He may have in like in the movie, but looking up the real guy, I think he was just a really great ranger. They put him in charge of the Texas... Um, like the Texas FBI, I guess you yeah. call that the Texas Investigation Bureau or whatever, a Bureau of Investigation. Yeah, I think so. Alabama has one. Yeah. Yeah, and so he like he did a lot of good work. The the, the real guy, obviously, not this fictional not character, the, not the actor, <laughs> yeah. not Ben Johnson, but he brought like he made like the Texas um, FBI like the best in the country. He there he was cutting edge in certain like crime tactics and stuff. Yeah. So I was kind of wondering, like, have you seen um, either? Bonnie and Clyde, or that new Bonnie and Clyde movie on Netflix. I want Kevin to. Costner. I want to. Um, Bonnie and Clyde is on streaming somewhere. It's okay. Fantas- it was on Netflix, I think. It's fantastic. Right. Um, I'd never seen it before. I'm not saying this is like some snob. I just watched it like two weeks ago. Okay. Um, yeah, it's one I've always wanted to see. It's really good. I love Faye Dunaway. Oh, she's so beautiful in it. What happened? Are you okay? Was that the door coming up? I mean, the little drawer Oh, comes? yeah. Um, <laughs> horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Bonnie and Clyde is fantastic. And then in the there's like a pseudo sequel with um well no it's not a sequel it's like a retelling told from the point of view of like the FBI people and the Texas Ranger people oh okay I guess it's just Texas Ranger people and that has Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson well anyway in both movies there's there's the same character that sort of is hunted down by and Clyde I wonder if it's supposed to be that guy because he's supposed to be this very famous Texas Ranger this also kind of reminds me of um the last true crime we did the one we did for. Uh, Crimson Peak. That was in the 40s also. Mm-hmm. So it's always scary out there, guys. But yeah, so Ben Johnson plays Captain Morales. And so Ben Johnson seemed to be the biggest name actor on the movie. He had been in tons of things. He was on Bonanza and Gunsmoke. You could definitely see him on either one of those shows. And then the only other person of significance really in the movie is uh, Marianne from Gilligan's Island. Yeah, which I did not know until you just told me. Yeah. And that's amazing. And so that's Don something, right? Yeah, Don Wells at the yeah. very end. Yeah, so I noticed on the opening credits, just, you know, it says, and Don Wells as right. whoever. And we're thinking, like, well, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I so. I that was Marianne. I don't know what else she did. So this is after Gilligan's Island. She's still alive, you know? Yeah, she's quite good at this. I mean, she doesn't have a ton to do, but she's effective. She seems very scared and <laughs> crawls around well. And <laughs> In one episode. Of Gilligan's Island, it's listed as she's listed as slave girl. That's nice. Well, who um who was the was she the hottest one? 
on Gilligan's Island, or who was the the other one? She was like the cute girl next door one, right? I just know that other straight people on TV shows used to joke about who they liked better, Marianne or Ginger. Oh, right. Yeah, and I remember thinking, what's the difference? But I I don't know. I think they're both, they're all very pretty. They are, they are. But And so then we move on to the next part of our, the sitcom portion of the show. (laughs) Right. Where... (laughs) Quite a gag. Oh my gosh, it just kind of goes and goes. Yeah, so we have um, the sheriff arriving and Sparkplug, as we've talked about earlier, a.k.a. the director of the movie, is going to drive the sheriff around. He's the chauffeur. He's very excited. And so there's about a 10-minute sequence where Sparkplug loses the keys to the car and can't find them. And the other characters just sort of watch him stumble around <laughs> looking for the keys. And it is hilarious. <laughs> In a way, I mean, it really is Barney Fife. Yeah. In a way, it is actually hilarious because, I mean, I'm laughing thinking, like, why is this scene in the movie? Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about, where you have this just totally dissonant scene in the midst of, like, what's, you know, otherwise a pretty scary movie, you know? Right. There's a, I just can't imagine, like, this guy, Charles, the actor, like, cut, all right, now we're going to go and tie this woman to a tree. Yeah. And then we're going to come back to right. me. Yeah. I mean, it's just... And I kind of imagine, like, I'm not sure what point you're on where you texted me and saying this is really bad, but I kind of <laughs> wonder if it was during the key scene. And then I think right after that, then I text you and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. That said, if This needs were, to be discussed. That said, if the director of this movie were to call me right now from the past and say, Chris, should I delete this scene? I would say no. <laughs> Keep it in. <laughs> By all means, just trust your instincts. Oh, it's, my gosh. It's going to work great. Um, but I think, you know, so we have that scene. And then I think you're right. I think the next scene is sort of the big centerpiece of the movie, right? Then they, this is where we get our drink from. So they show the scenes of the prom and the music. and Which I said and thought a lot about, like, what were proms like back then? And I guess we're showing this. But it's kind of weird because, like, every prom I can think of, especially in movies, you have some, like, rock and roll band and people drinking and... But back then, it's just like big band music. And and then I thought, they had proms? (laughs) I don't know if it's prom or if it's just like a dance or like a town dance. Oh, they do? They call it junior, senior. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then was that the the teacher spiking the... They were just spiking their own drinks, right? I think it was the teachers. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I think they were spiking their own drinks. Okay. That's fun. I didn't think they were poisoning the kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I couldn't tell Although if it was... Although with this movie, who knows? Like, you know, some other third subplot, you know? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, and so there's kind of a prolonged scene of all this good times, and then you see the two young people, one of the girls who plays the trombone, and then another young man, they get into a car, yeah. and we're kind of going to this through the same motions again. Yeah. One thing I do like about the prom scene, and I watch it twice, is, you know, I realize, and this is where I kind of say the movie's actually quite well-directed once you take aside the Barney Five, <laughs> whatever's going on, which in its own way is well-directed. I don't know. It just doesn't belong there. Right. Uh, but there's, uh, you can kind of see in the prom scene, they're introducing all these characters, and they'll focus on a couple at a time, and then you realize, I guess what they're, he's doing is like, you're trying to, he's showing you like, is it going to be these people? Is it going to be these people? Like, as far oh, as the Oh, yeah, yeah. And it kind of makes you a little bit nervous. And then only when the, the girl with the trombone and the guy get in the car does it flash like, you know, the date. Right. And then you actually know, okay, it's those people. So it's a pretty sophisticated way of sort of adding. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have um, just the directing. I think it was just because it was just so dissonant with the scenes and the the tone. Yeah. It kind of made we me feel that way. script writing, I suppose. <laughs> 
I mean, and a lot of the acting was not good, but that I think I read like a lot of it was actually like Texarkana residents really, yeah. that they used. So, um, you know, more power to them. Uh, but yeah, so then this was the moment when I was like, oh shit. So is this when you say it was getting dark? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the moment, you know, at least halfway through it when I kind of just absolutely started paying attention because I did not yeah. know. It's a incredible set piece, I think. I mean, and it just reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of like this uh, Zodiac, obviously. Uh-huh. Reminds me a little bit of The Strangers for some reason. Oh, yeah. Um, reminds me a little bit of torture porn. <laughs> There's no torture in it, but just sort of the unrelenting kind of. Well, I mean, it definitely reminded me of Friday the 13th. How he always has like different ways of killing each. Yeah, I thought it was more brutal though than Friday. It's 13th. much more brutal. That, that that's what the Just thing it's like. Just not quick, you know. Yeah, but and but Friday Thirteenth, he they would try to make creative ways of killing the different. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So um, that, that I could definitely see that in Friday Thirteenth, but maybe not quite as serious. Yeah. And we'll, as, we'll talk about that. Okay, <laughs> that's always my key about like don't talk about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where it's. A real slasher movie, the slow moving killer, the girls trying to get away. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's tough. Prom goers, they decide to go to another lover. Well, it's not quite a lover's lane. They they kind of make uh, say it's in the middle of town somewhere. Although, I mean, clearly it's in the middle of the woods. I don't know. It's and it's like one thirty in the morning. Yeah, go, and they're like, and, and she rightly is like, there's a serial killer around. They're very young though. I mean, I think they're. I mean, the real people are fifteen and sixteen. Uh, okay. So you have this very long, sustained sequence, like you said, in the woods where um, they're making out. Uh, although, really, even that seems weird. Like, what are they doing? He's kind of laying on her. He's just, like, taking a nap on her. Are they to suggest they had just had sex or something? I don't know. God, this guy, maybe the director doesn't know what sex is. I know. <laughs> you lay on their lap, and then there's babies. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're in the car, and this is another one of those examples where you see the killer, just a full view of the killer, kind of sneaking around the car it's kind of funny at times because he's like just hunched over and like you know this sort of his own little comedy of errors happening or like trying to sneak up on him but it also makes it more unnerving for some reason i don't know why and i think it's only because i'm so used to like this sort of stereotypical point of view shot of like the camera approaching the car mm-hmm. versus just seeing it all out in the open yeah so kind of nakedly i don't know and he's got that creepy mask on and it is so creepy it's dirty yeah ugh um, he can't really breathe in it. And you yeah. see the breath coming out. The, the the killer, I think, was the best actor in yeah, the movie. And, and sometimes he kind of makes noises. And I can't tell, like, if, is that him or is it like, just sound effects? Like, Oh, yeah. Some, like, like crazy noises. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's pretty scary. Creepy, yeah. And so the guy is down and then the girl is down and the guy gets up and the guy and then she, he does end up tying the girl to the tree. And then things get weird. Yeah. So... Once tied to the tree, he finds her trombone. He starts playing like a crazy person. Yeah. It's so freaky. Yeah, and he ties his this knife is, to wait, the Wait, Chris, this is the same movie <laughs> yes. that earlier there was a bumbling cop who couldn't find the keys. Right. This is not funny. Yeah, this no. is serious stuff. It's um, tough. And you see the girl grimace with, with each stab, and it's just it's very disturbing. Yeah, and, and there's also that kind of disturbing scene, you know, before he kind of... Well, I guess, I guess it is when he's tying her up. You, you know, the, the guy is still alive. And he and she's telling him to run away. Right. Yes, and that I'll, I'll get and to he, that too. And he does. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, like, you know, what, 
you know, that's not very heroic. You know, you're supposed to save your girl. But that's interesting. Like, he, the girl was telling him, and usually be flipped. Yeah. Where, like, the guy's like, oh, go. You know, there's no time, whatever. Yeah. And this, in this version, it's the girl that does that. I guess she has, she, maybe she knows there's no, no chance for no her. No chance. Yeah. It's sad. It is. And, uh, and he does. And then, I mean, it's interesting. The killer's kind of learning. So at this point, he's made a silencer. He's like a Velociraptor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You got a big smile on your face when you said that, too. <laughs> he remembers. But yeah, he made a little silence. He's a because, clever girl. Because earlier, he, I guess, was making this noise shooting people in the right. woods. So he shoots the kid with a silencer, and, right. he, and he's dead. And then he comes back, finds a trombone, and, I'm, and this is when I typed in all caps, what is this movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so he ties the knife, the, the trombone, and blows into it and stabs her. Oh, it's so creepy. That is so weirdly specific. I, and, and none of it is like cheesy or it's all like very disturbing. But did that happen? Is that where they got that from? No. So they. So the director the just director made, made that, that up. <laughs> yeah. The guy that plays Barney, well, I guess he didn't write it. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of weird motherfucker? I mean, who does? I don't know. This. But, I mean, how... I mean, that's a real precedent for a lot of the movies that came after it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's something that these Jason creative movie killers or and yeah. Freddy movie be like kind of wink, wink, clever. Like in this movie, it's just weirdly sexual and strange and terrifying. Yeah, it, he makes these weird blowing noises with his mouth. Yeah, he um, really seems unhinged. Yeah, it was very scary. I think the name of our episode, by the way, earlier the sheriff says we've got a very strange person on our hands. So I kind of thought about that when he used the trombone to stab the girl. Uh, and then you have a close-up on her face, and she's obviously in pain. And I that's know. That's kind of like a sort of torture porn idea. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, it's all there. It's like the groundwork for like eight different horror genres. I mean, I really, I think from that first scene, I was like, I don't know about this, to all of a sudden, like, not being able to look away. My hands were clenched. It was a real, real roller coaster of a movie. Yeah. Um, and then, so I guess they find the bodies... And they're upset with themselves because somehow they left, they missed this. Yeah, and it'd be so in like the middle of town apparently, and that's the one area they weren't checking. Yeah. So then they have a dinner with a psychologist, and the psychologist is like running down this profile of like this guy, and I was thinking like, well, that doesn't exist yet. This I must know, that's be. That's what I thought. Yeah. And so that's what I thought too. I just assumed that they were taking these like late seventies ideas and put. But but when I researched it, there was really a psychologist who they uh, conferred with. He basically profiled him? Yes. But it wasn't called that back then. That's interesting. Yeah. I do like that they were talking about in the middle of a busy restaurant, too. Yeah. He stabbed her with a trombone. Did he rape her? Yeah. And, like, people are eating around them. He didn't seem terribly helpful either. Like, I think the first thing he says was, you know, like, the odds are two to one will never be caught. <laughs> it's like, great. Yeah, they gave up a lot. <laughs> yeah. They were kind of like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I think later they say, I was going to take a miracle to catch this guy. And yeah. Then five later. <laughs> Can this guy be caught? I don't think so, son. Do you want the real truth? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're not supposed to give up. Come on, guys. Um, and then also at that same dinner, there's that line where they ask, is he insane? And he's like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, yeah, unless still in 76, that would be cutting edge stuff. pretty early, much less than the 40s. Because, again, we talked about Mindhunter, which I have seen three and a half times. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Is the show? Yes. Okay, yeah, I've been wanting to watch it again. And that starts in the late 70s. How in love with you are Jonathan Croft? Like, is it like a 10? I mean... Oh, my gosh. And Mindhunter? Yes. Okay, I'm just... I also love his partner. I think he's hot. Me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, That's yeah. a very sexy show. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something that a psychiatrist says in the scene that, um, I mean, it's just 
it's it is kind of on point to where you get the idea that you know none of these other characters have any conception of what a serial killer really is because no. they, they say like well well why did he rape from doc and he goes well he gets enjoyment out of you know by them and they're like well what and you know why didn't they rob him why, why didn't he rob the girls and he's like oh, because he doesn't want to do that and they don't they just fundamentally don't understand that but do, is, you want, do you want me to go ahead and talk about the real doctor then Sure. While we're here. So the real doctor that they talked to was Dr. Anthony LaPala. Um, he worked at the Federal Correctional Institute. And he did technically profile the guy, which was really interesting. And so he, he came to think that it was a killer between um, his 30s and 50. He said that he was motivated by a strong sex drive. He um, profiled him as being intelligent, clever. And he knew, like he was paying attention to what the cops were doing. So that's why he went to these other roads. Well, that's interesting. So I just thought that was something that was I know. clearly made up. You know? He said, in cases like this, the killer won't be apprehended. So it, they really took this, I think, from directly from Dr. LaPala. He also mentioned that he was probably le- leading a normal life and was a normal member of society, just like the guy in the movie said. He even um, thought that maybe he was not a veteran and that he probably lived in the area. So he did... Like I said, he really did profile him, especially in 1946. And it seems like back then they would have thought he was... That's crazy talk. Have you watched John Mulaney's specials? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know uh, that, that one part where he talks about, like, what was crime, like, back in the 30s anyway? They were just like, ooh, a pile of blood. Clean it up. You know? Like, <laughs> just... And he talks about how the got the bank robbers would just come dressed up like they were going to church in Atlanta. <laughs> Yeah, I've watched all the specials numerous times. Okay, good. So what we forgot to talk about was, I think also maybe why I started to kind of um, not be engaged with the movie is the whole cross-dressing scene (laughs) and all the cops dress up for their stakeouts and then there's a whole thing. You want to talk about that? Yeah, with um, so uh, specifically Sparkplug is dressed up as a a dame Mm -hmm. and he's got two unevenly shaped boobs and that's, you know really hilarious and i guess his idea is like he's um you know they're parking so he's the girl right and of course back then there are no female cops i guess or no real females that could just play that part right um and i thought well there's just no way in the world this happened but it sounds like it really happened yes some version of it that is we'll get we'll get to that the cop that was with him with a handlebar mustache yeah something's wrong with him because even like when they caught the killer like they, what they thought was the killer. Remember the car chase and they caught the guy? Yeah, which I didn't really understand that scene at all. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I think he had a stolen car or something. So maybe they chased him and oh, then he yeah. ran and so they caught him. And then for some reason he admitted to it. I don't know. And that same cop with the handlebar mustache was real creepy and was like, hey, I don't worry. I'm going to take care of him. And then he went and like got in the back seat with the guy. So I don't, that guy's creepy. Oh, no. I don't know if they were trying to say that, but just watch out for that guy is all I'm saying. I a, do. I mean, the, 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 we have to acknowledge that, you know, you were talking about this car chase scene in the middle of this movie, in this second movie, you know, we have this suddenly this Dukes of Hazard scene. With the, with the music? Yeah, the It music. was like so upbeat and yeah. just, and it was the, Dukes of Hazard. The yeah. cop car takes a ram, dives in the swamp, and I'm like, yes. yeah. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> uh, and then a girl with a Daisy Duke shows up and. It's just crazy. Like that scene could have been trimmed. <laughs> um, but, you know, we won't really talk about that. And so next we have what is kind of really our final kind of kill scene if, right. if we're talking about a conventional slash movie which is this, this is clearly not but 
Oh, this is where Marianne from Gilligan's Island comes in. Yeah, so, that's different because it's in a house, yes. so we're not so in a he's, car. He's graduated. He, he's learning, as you yes. say. <laughs> so um, he's gone from um, abducting and hurting people, and I guess kind of buying them, and then escalated to killing people mm-hmm. in these sort of kind of grotesque, well, not really grotesque, but you know, he's kind of taking his time and enjoying it. And now he's graduated to home invasion, which yeah. is, you know, pretty terrifying. And so. Helen Reed is the character who's played by Don Wells. And so she hears something in the living room. She comes out and her husband's been shot in the head through the window. Yeah, they show it. Yeah. And yeah. we should point out, he had followed her home from like, the grocery store. Right. Yeah. She had that awesome red car. Yeah. That was so cool. And uh, and then she gets attacked. There's a, She gets shot. She keeps going. She gets out. Yeah, I guess the idea is she gets like a scalp wound. Because you see blood come off her uh, head. I can't wait to tell you the true story. Okay. This one's very similar. So then, is her name really Helen Reed? No, they changed all the names. Oh, but well, as the narrator tells me, yes. <laughs> Only the names have been changed. Only that, and the fact that he tied a knife to a trombone. But <laughs> anyway, but then, so she gets over to a neighbor, and she ends up surviving. Yeah, that is also just you know throwing this out there a very scary, effective sequence. I mean, just the fact oh my when, gosh, her dragging herself through the cornfield yeah. was so scary. Well, when he pops in the window and shoots the guy in the head, I just was not. That, you know, it just didn't really present like anything that happened before the movie. So, discover they get Miss Reed, and the narrator tells us right away that she's going to be okay. Which in a normal movie, there'd be some suspense. Yeah. You wouldn't know, and then you'd see her in the hospital bed anyway. That was happens. Like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It does give you that instant kind of relief. Yeah. And then, like we talked about earlier, they're kind of giving up. Well, I guess we're never going to catch them. And then they get a call that there's a stolen car. That looks just like every other car I've seen in the movie, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to want... I mean, are those Studebakers? What do you call those cars? I don't know. Coops, I was honestly, like, trying to think, like, did they have TV? Did they have... They had phones? Okay, good. I just don't... You know, yeah. I don't know. Coupe de Bills, I think, is what they are. I, I think he called it an Oldsmobile, didn't he? Oh, okay. I don't know. But I don't know cars. That's a Civic. <laughs> so then they go, and the guy is wandering around with his full mask on. Yeah, like the killer and scream in the grocery store. Right. But we thought that that might have been a... Might have been someone messing around. Impossible. But then again, it's very similar to Zodiac killing people in the middle of the day. Well, I I was wondering, like, because when they get there, uh, the sheriff or the deputy sheriff asks, well, do kids ever park out here? And the guy says, well, yeah, sometimes. So maybe he thought he would find some kids parked out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's why he was kind of in his get up. And he's. That also makes sense if he's escalating, he's getting to the point where he feels safer doing it during the day. Yeah. So he gets there and all he finds is a sand pit. He's like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, and then so they, they chase him. He gets shot yeah. from underneath. That's a pretty With cool a scene. With a shotgun. Yeah. And then, the and then they're like, well, I guess he's gone. Why don't they follow the blood? <laughs> follow the five feet. He's surely crawling in the woods. I mean, uh, Well, we want to go back to the station. Yeah. Wait seven hours to get the bloodhounds. Then we'll go fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, I mean, I guess the point is, I mean, spoiler alert. The true story, he was never caught either. So they can't necessarily have him be caught. So was he really shot? Though? No. I guess, I guess we'll all find out. But, yes. Um, How did they end the movie exactly? Well, the end of the movie, well, I will say that the, the premise of the movie, again, is very Zodiac. You know, you don't, you know, they kind of speculate all these other people that it may have been like, oh, it's this guy that's in the jail in uh, Shreveport or is this other guy? Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, that's very Zodiac to me. But it actually ends with a kind of a epilogue where they, <laughs> they show... Uh, screenshots of all the major characters who we don't really know who they are. <laughs> right. Like the chief of police and what he's doing now. I'm like, was he in the movie? Like, <laughs> uh, 
and the only people you really care about are Helen Reed. Like she's right. still alive. The survivors. Like, yeah. Uh, spark plug. Yeah, they, it's funny. <laughs> they don't tell us happened to spark plug. It's the one <laughs> character they don't tell us. He probably just drowned in the lake by accident or something. Yeah. Um, but but it, it, it is a bit. I guess the idea is it's the characters the or the real people the characters are based on. So that's kind of interesting. But it's funny because like they show the chief police and he's like in one scene. Right. And it's like I don't care what happened to him. Um, but the movie, I guess you're asking, the movie actually ends where they're at the movie theater and they're well, they're watching their own movie, which apparently they do there in Texarkana. Yeah. So I, and I didn't notice that till um, I, I rewound it and saw that it was a town that dreaded sundown. Um, kind of like in Crimson Peak, how she wrote her own story. Yes. This director directed his own movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we're led to believe the killer, you know, 30 years later, is still wearing those boots. Right, going to see the movie. Going to see the movie. Um, but, you know, that's nice. I guess he still lives there and he's happy. He's excited. Chris. All right, so Chris, are you ready to hear the true story yeah, of the actually, Texarkana yeah, murders? Yeah, because I thought it was all just... And in fact, you know, some of the things I read online said this is very loosely based on true story. It's more... I mean, it's it's pretty close, but, but well, again, I was expecting like a Fargo situation where it's just right, not where at it all just, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and again, I did not realize this movie was based on a true story or even just regular murders. Again, I thought it was some kind of supernatural thing. So I was very excited to Google it and realize, oh, it's based on the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. And had you heard of that before? Though? No. Okay. I don't know how because Zodiac's one of my favorite. Not Okay, you know what I mean when I say favorite murders, right? So they, so they call them the Moonlight Murders? Yes. And they also call him the Phantom Killer or the Phantom Murders. I think they mentioned that in the movie. Yeah, I, was... I thought that was made up too, yeah. No. Uh, also, apparently the urban legend of the hook is allegedly kind of got started from this. Interesting. If you think about the... Like the hook in the back seat, you mean? Like well, the... They, the, like the hook on the door. Remember it was like a couple and they think hear something and then they get home and the oh, hook... right. And that seems pretty loosely based on it but and i don't know when the, well, that urban kind of legend started story though, right? yeah, yeah which i'm sure there's lots of those but a lot of what people thought were facts of the case were actually urban legends that came from the movie oh okay yeah so i guess people have seen this movie though this, yeah i guess so yeah. but it, it happened in 1946 that was the same date that there were different specific dates i think because in the movie they wanted it to be exactly three weeks apart remember they were kind of like trying to yeah track it and it's it's kind of similar but it's not quite as it's, it did happen on weekends which was very similar to zodiac too remember how it was always on weekends so i thought maybe it was a teacher or it was maybe it was someone who had a nine-to-five job so the first attack actually happened on february 22nd 1946 and it was jimmy hollis who was 25 and mary Larie, who was 19 they went on a date to the movies so that's about right. Yeah. yeah. And but it was, interestingly, they parked in a residential neighborhood. Like it wasn't a cent- it wasn't like in the middle of nowhere. There was houses around. And then a man walks up wearing a mask with eye holes cut out with a flashlight and a gun. He makes Jimmy get out and take his pants off for some reason. Wait, hold on. So the mask is true? Yes. Oh my god. Isn't that terrifying? I had no idea. Uh, he makes Jimmy he says he tells Jimmy, take your goddamn britches off. Then he hits Jimmy over the head with the butt of the gun a couple times. The noise is like so loud of his uh, skull fracturing that Mary actually thinks that he got shot. How painful is that? Why do you make him take his pants off? I don't know. Maybe just to embarrass him? Hmm. Then he then he hit Mary in the head 
she fell down. He told her to get up and run. So that way he could catch her again. Isn't that scary? He was a real sadistic bitch. He kicked her down, caught up with her, sexually assaulted her with his gun. Yeah. Yeah. And she ended up getting away from him. Jimmy was able to get up and they flagged down a car. Both of them survived. Okay, so that kind of mirrors the first scene, but... In but actually, the, the real one is a little more graphic. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you add into the the sexual nature of it. Right, yeah. Which they kind of left out of the movie. Well, they say he you know chewed on her, which suggests... Yeah, but they they outright asked if he rape her. And they say no, when that's not true. And especially in later ones, too. So we'll get to that. But apparently Texarkana in the 1940s was already pretty violent. There were a lot of murders, a lot of uh, burglaries. It was not a safe place. So the first attacks were not really even noticed by the public. That's crazy. It was kind of like every day. <laughs> Saturday night. Saturday night. Okay, so the next one is March 24th, which is about a month later. Richard Griffin, 29, and Polly Moore, 17. So that is yeah. the same. They were found dead. In Richard's car. This is a little different. I think in the movie they're found outside of the car. Richard was on his knees, like in the front seat. Polly was sprawled out in the back seat. Uh, They had both been shot in the back of the head, presumably outside. So it seems like the killer pulled them out of the car, shot them both, put them back in the car, and then shot Richard one more time, two, two more times. Jeez. Yeah. So it's pretty violent. This in this case there weren't there wasn't any sexual assault. It was raining, like in the movie, so all the uh, footprints were washed away. Then the big Texas Ranger comes in. But this guy is uh, T. Lone Wolf Gonzola, and I talked about him earlier. Yeah, but I didn't. I don't think you told me that his actual nickname was Lone Wolf. Yeah. So then they say that in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's, it's I guess it, based on him. Yeah, it was kind of like, again, in, in Zodiac. Remember how um, Mark Ruffalo's character, like Bullet... From yeah, the movie like Bullet McQueen, is act- yeah. yeah, it's actually based on him. Yeah, I recorded that movie on TV just because it's referenced so much in Zodiac. Oh, yeah. I've yet to watch it. But... Oh, I, my dad used to watch it a lot. Is it called Bullet? I think so. Yeah. yeah. It's like B-U-L-L-I-T. Yeah, it's on my list. Yeah. All right, so now we cut to April 13th. That's probably about three weeks later. This is Betty Jo Booker, who's 15, and Paul Martin, who's 16. So this is the dance murder. They were both at a dance that night. But Betty played the saxophone. This movie got it all wrong. Not the trombone. (laughs) Uh, They are found dead. Paul had been shot four times, found outside the car. Betty had been raped. And her body was found in the woods two miles away. So he pretty much just threw her out. Well, so this all kind of suggests that maybe he's just a rapist that wants to, you know, he's killing people maybe in his way. or. But why choose couples? And there's something to that, kind of similar to uh, who we haven't talked about yet, but Richard Ramirez and even the Zodiac, who f- has enough confidence to think that he can take on two people. I mean, there's something to that. Maybe he's you know jealous of the guy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, def- definitely, which they didn't really show in the movie, which I assumed was true, is that he's putting more rage towards the women, just the same way Zodiac did. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I mean the, the movie kind of removes a lot of those sort of sexual. There, I mean, he does tie her to a tree. Yeah. But it does seem like it's more even than what I thought it was, which is true. Because uh, these serial killer men are just awful. 
Uh, so with this murder, they were able to figure out that it was the same type of gun that was used in the attack before. So these two are definitely linked. But again, I mean, this is before we can't say that so-and-so's DNA is here yet. It's just clean up that blood. Brips. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they can match the gun. They can kind of match footprints. But again, it's it's a rainy season. And similar to in the movie and also in Scream or during the Gainesville Ripper spree, people started to get scared. They did sell out of guns. People were booby-trapping their homes. People would set up like kind of like a quiet place. You know, they would set up like... Um, oh, really? Uh, I was thing. actually like a Home Alone situation. <laughs> yeah, or or like Stranger Things. I don't like when he puts up the the borders around their cabin. Mm. They were doing that. Oh, also, what's interesting: women and children, while their husbands and dads were away, they would pack up and stay at a hotel in town called Hotel Grimm. Really? Yeah. Crazy. So then, so the last one was so the whole town really did dread sundown. Yeah. Know? And they, they would close up their blinds, just like in the movie. They would try to stay in. But then also, I think you kind of think, well, what are the chances going to be me? So you stay out with your boyfriend. So no one's at fault here except for the murderer. So then um, about, this is about three weeks later too, May 3rd, this is the farmhouse murder, which is very similar to the movie. So 37-year-old Virgil Starks is listening to the radio. I first typed that he was watching TV. And then I was like, did they have TV? I need to check this. No, he was listening to the radio. Anyway, when a bullet came through the window, shot him in the head. And then his wife, Katie, who was 36, came into the living room and found him bleeding. The guy breaks in. She gets shot in the face twice. One bullet gets lodged under her tongue. The other one shoots out her teeth. Wow. So you were saying like in the movie, it looked like maybe it was a scalp wound or something. But no, no she got shot in the face twice. And she got back up. She ran through the house, trailing blood, like just like in the movie. She made it to, like, her sister-in-law lived next to her, but they weren't home. So she made it to the next house, got help. Um, That's so wild, because I just assume, like, this is all made up. You know? I know. This is 1946, when you think that things are safe. Um, apparently, she was, like, so she had, like, teeth falling out of her mouth. She was so out of it that... The guy who drove her to the hospital, she wanted to thank him, and she gave him one of her teeth with the gold filling in it. I mean, like, she was just, like, so out of it, but she she survived. So, like, say, what links necessarily that attack to their tags? They just... uh, yeah, that's what I was about to get to. So, Katie didn't see the man this time. Like, in the movie, they show him. Yeah. But she had so much blood in her eyes that she couldn't see. And so she did not have an, a, an eyewitness to the same masked man. Also, the gun was different. So it's really just like speculation that this was the same phantom killer. They're kind of um, assuming. Yeah. But it, but like you had mentioned too, it does kind of seem like he's upping his game. He's going from the cars to home invasion. But then again, maybe Texarkana is a violent place. Maybe it was somebody who wanted to rob them and then got freaked out and left without, because they didn't steal anything. I think that's the thing too yeah but i think seems likely it was probably the same guy i guess the oh and this point was also interesting like young people were parking in lover's lane hoping to catch the phantom (laughs) they had guns with them they and they were hoping to take the law into their own hands and they also mentioned that the cops were actually 
dressing up and parking. Sometimes it was mannequins with them, which I think is creepier somehow. Uh, and then sometimes they would dress up like a couple. So, but I don't, I don't think that someone tried to grab their boobs or. Yeah. Well, I do like the idea of him coming upon like a mannequin and be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Classic takes Arcana. And then, so after this, this last murder, the title on the front page of the Texarkana Gazette said, Sex Maniac Hunted and Murders. Can you oh. imagine seeing that in 1946 on the front page of the paper? Yeah. And again, I don't know why they said Sex Maniac. Well, I mean, I guess the first two girls were raped. Yeah. Do you think they would have released that to the public? I suppose. Well, I mean, I mean, I think the journalists would probably have access to the police reports and that type of thing. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess, again, it, back then it was like the they would show up and yeah. tromp all over the crime scene and take pictures and do anything they wanted. But So no one was ever arrested for any of these murders, just like in the movie. One of the suspects was UL Swinney, a young rookie officer named Max Tackett, noticed that after every murder, a stolen car was found nearby. So he kind of put this together. And so they found a stolen car, which is very similar to the movie. And they go and find it. And But in the car is UL's wife, Peggy. So they arrest Peggy. And Peggy tells them that UL is the phantom killer. Now, this is where there's, it gets fuzzy. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. And Peggy gives a few different accounts of what happened. Specifically on the night of the murder of Betty, Joe, and Paul, the two young kids. She one time says that her and UL were out there and UL had to go pee. He went away. She heard gunshots. He came back. Uh, Then she gives a different account of actually helping and like holding down Betty, Joe. And she recounts driving Betty, Joe up further and him raping her. And then she recants all that. Yeah. But there were a couple of things that she said that had not been released. Kind she, of, she didn't be able to know. Yeah. One of that UL or whoever the murderer was threw Paul's notebook out into the woods. And so she mentioned that specifically, which wouldn't have been released. So. Who knows? Yes. But UL was already arrested because of the car theft. And he was sentenced to life in prison because of all of his what he, all the stuff he'd racked up. He didn't serve life in prison. He was eventually released, but he also never admitted to anything. They interrogated him and he wouldn't admit. And then Peggy couldn't testify against him because they were married. Mm. Does that still exist? Yeah. It does? Yeah. So I can't testify against Brian. For the most part. I mean, there's... Brian murders somebody and my testimony doesn't count. The best answer is it depends. Okay. Yeah. There is a privilege against testifying against your, against your spouse. Hmm. But it, it really, really depends. Uh, there's also one more disappearance linked to the Phantom Killer, that of 21-year-old Virginia Carpenter. She was from Texarkana and disappeared in Denton, Texas. She was on her way to enroll in classes at Texas State College for Women, but she never enrolled. There was never any trace of her found again. The only reason she's linked to the Phantom Killer is because she knew three of the victims. So that could have just been a coincidence. Or he could have taken her too. But she, her, I mean, she's never found. That's what really freaks me out about the true crimes or the ones that are never found. Like I just finished a book 
called True Crime Addict. Oh, you finished it? Okay. Yes. So I met James Renner, I can't believe it's been a couple years ago, and I bought his book and he signed it. So I finally read it in like two days. It's so good. James Renner is a great writer, and he's very honest in the book because it's kind of about him too and what he was going through. But the main case that he's talking about in that is the disappearance of Maura Murray. And there was no trace of her. Still nothing has been found. And it's just, it's fascinating. But so that is the real Moonlight Texarkana murders. Well, that's uh, frustrating because, I mean, usually in these cases they're caught or we know who it is or that type of thing. There's hardly even, like, but even Much in, like the movie, we're left with a lot of questions. <laughs> I mean, even in Zodiac, there's, I mean, in the Zodiac movie, they really focus on Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah. But if you read the books, like, there is... Did you read this? Yeah. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> there's a couple other... That's what's scary, too. It's like that there could be a few options. Like, all these people look good. Yeah. That there's this many, like, fucked up people that one of them could be. So, you never know. Well, I'm uh, very glad that our, our Natasha recommended uh, this movie. Yeah, me too. I would never have really come across it, I don't think. I, I mean, although it is Amazon Prime, but if you look at the cover, it's like... Looks like a Western or right. something else, which I love Western. So maybe would have seen it, <laughs> but probably not an interesting movie. I think it's a good horror movie. It's a good movie. I just, you know, there's, uh, we have, we have some issues with it. it. It makes it almost more endearing to me. Yeah, it does. Flaws. It does. Um, not even flaws, just odd choices, I guess. It's its own thing. Uh, I'm really curious to watch a sequel, honestly. Although I noticed the sequel has a lower, um, what do you call it? IMDb score than the original does. Oh, yeah. I wonder how much of that also is, like, maybe people who really love the first mm-hmm. one. Yeah. But I think we should still watch it. It's on Amazon, too, right? Definitely. Gonna, I don't know if it is, but I'm definitely oh, okay. going to watch it. I watched the trailer, and I was pretty into it. All right. Well, so that concludes this episode. Please go on Facebook and join our Facebook group so you can talk to us. Yeah. Rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, please. Even if you don't have iTunes, you know, grab your friend's phone <laughs> Just rate it there too because yeah, it's just gonna <laughs> it's just gonna help get this podcast to more people and we're very excited to share it and we want to talk to you guys so you can again join our Facebook group you can follow us on Twitter at sometimes dead four follow us on Instagram at sometimes dead podcast email us at sometimes dead podcast at gmail.com, which I realized that is way too long so I might make a new yeah. well <laughs> I mean, people one. want to email I think the social sites are good. Well, yeah, but also, like, DM us. Let us know what your first thing that scared you was, your favorite scary movie, what we should do, yeah. all if that kind of fun stuff. If you have a good true crime you want to tell Kristen about. Yes. Because uh, remember, we have this new challenge, like, right. a true crime that will that she has to connect the movie to. You know, like, the opposite of what we do. Okay, and so we also had another member that joined um, the Facebook group, Marie. She let us know that her first scary movie was the Italian director Fucci. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. I've only read it. But she went and saw the, his movie Zombie when she was four with her parents. Oh, wow. Yes. She says she remembers running out of the theater. Yeah. Well, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's awesome. That's a good story. It is. So let us know. We will talk about yours. We gotta go. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye.